first of all, to Revelation chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 10 through 16 of Revelation 1. So if you're turning in your pew Bible, you'll find this on page 1655. Uh, the numeral is not there because it's the beginning of the book. It says the revelation of Jesus Christ, but across the page from 1654. 1655, Revelation chapter 1, and uh, we'll be reading verses 10 through 16. Hear now the word of God. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, and what you see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And then turn with me, please, to Hebrews chapter 4, starting on page 1617 and going on to 1618. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 1, continuing on to the end of the chapter, verse 16, starting on page 1617, Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached should not enter because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, 
today. If you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Well, beloved people of God, when you think of Presbyterians, there are various words and terms that come to mind. The frozen chosen. As a matter of fact, I met a lady this afternoon who said, I was raised in a Presbyterian church over in Decatur, and she knew that term. I had to see a doctor on this past week, and she said, when I mentioned I was a Presbyterian minister, she herself had been raised Presbyterian. She said, oh, yes, we're, we're the frozen chosen. So that's Amen. one term that's you can think of. The blue banner, as in for Christ, crown, and covenant, the blue banner. Predestination, election, infant baptism, King Jesus' sovereign rule over all, church rule by means of elders. So these are some of the things that when you hear the word Presbyterian, orderliness in worship, regulative principle of worship. But there's also another term, and that is Sabbath observance or Sabbatarianism. Sabbath observance. Presbyterians have always been known for being Sabbath keepers or desiring to be Sabbath keepers rather than Sabbath breakers. And so, Lord willing, for the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at this in terms of the fourth commandment. And today in particular, well, we're, we're going to be focusing on a specific thing with regard to this issue of Sabbath observance, and that is, when is the Sabbath? When? Which day of the week should we observe as the Sabbath or as the Lord's Day. 
As we look at an overview of the first four commandments, we've seen that the first commandment deals with the who of worship, the object of our worship. It's the true and the living God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, not a figment of our imagination, not a false God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The second gives us the what of worship or the means of our worship, the content of our worship, the regulative principle of worship, a strict understanding of what it is we are to do, what elements we are to practice in our worship. The third commandment, the how, gives us the manner and attitude of our worship, which is that of reverence. We are not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Then when we come to the fourth commandment, we see we're dealing with the when of worship. And especially today, we're going to be looking at what not only, uh, well, we're, we're going to be considering going forward in terms of what it means to keep the Sabbath day holy, and it's a whole day. But today, in particular, we're going to look at what particular day we should, on what particular day we should worship. Notice that we are speaking of a particular day. It is not an indefinite day, nor is it one which the church has the liberty to choose. It is according to God's command. Furthermore, it is an entire day that is to be kept holy, not merely an hour or two. It's not the Lord's hour, it's the Lord's day. And I would suggest that it is the natural day which is in view, that is to say from midnight to midnight. Now, there are folks who would take a different view historically, but I do believe that it is when we think of, just like we think of the day, you think of a calendar, it's from midnight to midnight. Exodus 16.23 says, tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath, but if the Sabbath began in the evening, Moses would have said, this evening begins the rest of the Sabbath. Matthew 28, verse 1 says, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, if the Sabbath were ending in the wee hours of the morning, then it must have begun in the wee hours of the morning. Matthew 8, 20, Matthew 28, 1 also indicates that the Christian Sabbath began as it grew towards light, not towards darkness or the evening. Christ's resurrection and commemoration of which the Christian Sabbath is observed was early in the morning, not in the evening. If the Sabbath ended Sunday afternoon or early evening, then it would be lawful for people to work and play at that time, which would be very unsuitable after the holy duties of this holy day. John 20, verse 19, it was in the evening of the first day of the week. So in other words, before midnight, but it was towards the evening of that first day of the week that Jesus appeared to his disciples. And in all nations and in the account of scripture, evening always follows morning. And so it is the natural day then which is in view. But now the question is, which day of the week is the Sabbath? Which day of the week is the Sabbath? Well, from the beginning of creation, it was the seventh day. And of course, we see that, uh, for example, in Genesis chapter 2. Uh, there was, uh, uh, 
reference earlier to uh, creation and the Sabbath. And so we see this principle of the Sabbath from the very beginning. Genesis 2, verse 3, Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, hallowed it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. God worked for six days doing creation, making things, and then he rested as a pattern for us. He rested on that seventh day. We find that in other places as well. But from Christ's resurrection, from Christ's resurrection to the end of the world, it is the first day of the week, not the seventh day. Remember, the principle in the fourth commandment is keeping holy to God such set times as he has appointed. The fact of which day of the week is to be kept holy is not of the essence of the commandment. The essence is the principle of one-seventh of our time. Just like we give a tithe of our money to show that all of our money ultimately belongs to God, we give one-tenth of our income, so we give one-seventh of our time. It's a special day, but it's also a token, if you will, just like the tithe is a token. It's a token of the fact that we are confessing that even though this day is a special day unto the Lord and to be observed as such, all time is in his hand. And let me also mention that the significance of the Sabbath the significance of the Sabbath is expanded in the New Covenant. The primary emphasis originally was on creation and rest from that. But in the New Testament, there is great emphasis on the recreation, the recreation, the redemption, and our rest in that. That's why we read today from Hebrews 4, verse 10. For he who has entered his rest, this is speaking of Jesus now, for he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. So in other words, Jesus has rested from his work. What is his work? It wasn't creation, it was redemption. It was the cross. It was all those things in terms of how we have salvation. And when did he enter into his rest? When God raised him from the dead on the first day of the week. And so the emphasis then uh, is on recreation and the rest that we have in that. By the way, there are hints in the Old Testament already of the eighth day, the concept of the eighth day. We often find that, the, the idea of the eighth day in terms of circumcision, for example. We also see in Leviticus chapter 23, and verse 11, Leviticus chapter 23, verse 11, there are other places we could look at as well, but ex, um, Leviticus 23 and verse 11. He shall, that is say, the priest shall wave the sheaf, the sheaf of wheat, before the Lord 
to be accepted on your behalf in the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. Isn't that interesting? So the Sabbath then, of course, was the seventh day, but yet here in the ceremonial law, it's sort of pointing forward to the fact because this had to do with these, with uh, the uh, this uh, holy uh, convocation here, and so he's going to wave the the sheaf of wheat, which is what it's a symbol of resurrection, is it not? And it's on the day after the Jewish Sabbath, the next day, that the priest has this ceremony, and so there is a there is a, a pointing forward, as it were to the idea of an eighth day. And by the way, as we come into the New Testament, we will also see then that, of course, if we're talking about the first day of the week, we'll see this in just a second. Well, the eighth day is the next what? It's the next first day of the week. If you start the calendar, you start on a a Sunday, it happens to be the first. When's the next Sunday? It's the eighth day of the month, and so forth. So today then, as we look at Hebrews 4, verse 10, we're doing so under this theme, the fourth commandment being fulfilled by Christ requires Sabbath observance on the first day of the week. The fourth commandment being fulfilled by Christ requires Sabbath observance on the first day of the week. So, uh, three major points, and then a fourth one in terms of church history. The first major point is this. Christ commanded the change in day. Christ commanded the change in day. Jesus told us in the, uh, in the Gospels that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, that his saying that was in the context of his informing us what it means to keep the Sabbath. But the principle demonstrates something very important, and that is that he rules over the Sabbath. He is Lord of the Sabbath. And though he did not come to destroy the law, as we heard today in Sunday school, he did come to fulfill it. And part of of that fulfillment included a change in the particular day. Look with me again here in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews 4 proves that the Sabbath centers on him. Look at verse 9. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. This concept of rest, even as we sang from Psalm 95, which is quoted here in this uh, chapter of Hebrews and also in the Uh, previous uh, chapter as well. Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, and so forth. This concept of rest then permeates Psalm 95. It permeates, therefore, this part of the book of Hebrews. And we are told in verse 9, there remains a rest for the people of God. But as we get to verse 10, we see that Jesus' work now sets the pattern for Sabbath observance so that the emphasis is not on creation but on recreation, on redemption. Jesus has ceased from his labors. He has entered into his rest 
on the first day of the week, and by the way, which also now is the eighth day, is it not? Jesus has inaugurated the the Sabbath in terms of the first day, also the eighth day, if you will. And so Hebrews 4 then demonstrates that Jesus is the one who has, by means of his work and now his rest, has commanded that this change, that this day be changed. Furthermore, Jesus demonstrated the change in day by means of his actions. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week, a fact that is recorded in all four Gospels. And we read from John chapter 20 today. Turn with me to John 20. In John chapter 20, John chapter 20, verse 19, then the same day at evening being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. And he showed them his hands and his side. In other words, Jesus was in the midst of his disciples, even as he's in our midst, not physically, but spiritually. From his ascended position on high, as he has sent forth his Holy Spirit, Jesus is is spiritually present in our midst. This is what worship is all about. And he appeared then on the day of his resurrection in the midst of his disciples. But notice verse 24. Now Thomas, called Didymus, or the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them. Remember what? Doubting, Doubting Thomas. We've seen the Lord, the disciples said. He said, unless I see his hands in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, into that wound in his side, I will not believe. Look at verse 26. And after eight days. This is now the eighth day, if you will. It's eight days later, meaning, in other words, it's the eighth day after this first day of the week. It's the next first day of the week. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. So Jesus set the pattern. And that's authoritative. That is, in essence, a command. He set the pattern to Lord's days in a row with his disciples he met on the first day of the week. Furthermore, the day of Pentecost, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, or Acts chapter 2, Jesus poured out his spirit on the Lord's day. It was not the Jewish Sabbath. It was the Lord's day on which the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. And so the first major point is Christ commanded the change in day. Number two, the Holy Spirit sealed the change in day. The Holy Spirit sealed the change in day. We already mentioned a moment ago about the Spirit's work on the day of Pentecost as he manifested himself with those cloven tongues of fire and the the speaking in tongues. The Spirit sealed 
by the change in day, by his work on the day of Pentecost, but also, as we read from Revelation 1 today, he also sealed it by working in the heart of St. John on the Lord's day. So let's look at Revelation 1, where John the Apostle says, I was in the Spirit. On the, I was caught up, if you will, in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And by the way, as you go through what we read there, next verse, Jesus loudly says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches. And, I, and John says, verse 12, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. He's in the, mid, he's in the presence, John is in the presence of Jesus on the Lord's day, even as Jesus was in the midst of the disciples to Lord's days in a row upon his resurrection. And even, my friends, as he is in the midst of us, we don't see him with our physical eyes. We don't have a vision like John did. But with the eyes of faith, we know, we behold him, we understand that it is the risen Christ who rose on the first day of the week, who poured out his spirit on the first day of the week. It is the same Jesus who is here in our midst today. And we dare not change the day from what he has said. And so the Holy Spirit sealed the change in day, as well as Christ having commanded the change in day. And thirdly, the apostles who were given authority by Jesus, the apostles confirmed the change in day. Acts chapter 20, we read from as well, just the one verse, chapter 20, verse 7. Chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, in other words, to have communion, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. Remember also this is where Eutychus, the young man, <laughs> fell out of the window, fell asleep during the preaching. It's not the, the last time that someone has fallen asleep during a preacher's sermon. But anyway, and he fell asleep. Remember, fell out the window? And Paul, it's very interesting that Paul, when he, what does he do? He, he embraced him and he resurrected him. Isn't that interesting? Here we have the connection between, again, between the first day, the day of resurrection, and this literal resurrection of Eutychus here in Acts chapter 20. But the, the point here is that it was on the first day of the week that the disciples came together for worship. And we find something similar then in 1 Corinthians 16. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, so must you do also on the first day of the week. Let each one of you lay something aside, 
storing up as he may prosper that there be no collections when I come. Now this is not addressing the question as to whether a collection is an offering and should be part of worship. The point here is, why the first day of the week? Because that's when the church was gathered on the first day of the week, including being gathered for worship. And so the apostles then confirmed the change in day. And now fourthly, as a fourth major head, I just want to mention for a few minutes church history, which testifies of the change in day. Church history testifies of the change of day. The Didache, Didache means like the teaching, around AD 90, so the very end of the first century, said this, and on the Lord's day, gather to break bread and to give thanks after having confessed your offenses so that your sacrifice, sacrifice of praise may be pure. Every Lord's day, hold your solemn assemblies and rejoice for he will be guilty of sin who fast on the Lord's day being the day of the resurrection. On the day of the resurrection of the Lord, that is the Lord's day, assemble yourselves together without fail, giving thanks to God and praising him for those mercies God has bestowed upon you through Christ. An early father by the name of Ignatius, AD 107, let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen and chief of all the days of the week. Barnabas, who lived A.D. 74 to 132, wherefore we Christians keep the eighth day, meaning, of course, the first day of the week, the eighth day for joy, on which also Jesus arose from the dead and when he appeared, ascended into heaven. Justin Martyr, A.D. 150, but Sunday is the day in which we hold our common assembly because it is the first day of the week, and Jesus, our Savior, on the same day rose from the dead. Tertullian, A.D. 200, we solemnize, we set apart the day after Saturday in contradistinction to those who call this day their Sabbath. Origin, A.D. 220, on Sunday, none of the actions of the world should be done. If, in other words, you to have a Sabbath, right? If then you abstain from all the works of this world and keep yourselves free for spiritual things, Go to church, listen to the readings and <laughs> sermons, meditate on heavenly things. Cyprian, A.D. 250, the eighth day, that is, the first day after the Sabbath and the Lord's Day. Eusebius of Caesarea, A.D. 325, all things which it was duty to do on the Sabbath, these we have transferred to the Lord's Day as more appropriately belong unto it because it has the precedence and is first in rank and more honorable than the Jewish Sabbath. And the Council of Laodicea, A.D. 360, Christians should not Judaize, as say, go back to the Jewish customs, and should not be idle on the Sabbath, but should work on that day, on the Jewish Sabbath. They should, however, particularly reverence the Lord's Day, and if possible, not work on it because they were Christians. And there are many other testimonies that we could have throughout church history. But many of these early, even going back to the first, certainly the second century, 
are very striking, are they not? This is not some later development as the Seventh-day Adventist would tell us. This is not something that the Pope did on his own authority. No, the early church clearly worshipped, as we saw already, gathered on and worshipped on the Lord's Day as we saw in Acts 20, verse 7 and 1 Corinthians 16. And they did so following the command of Christ and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So, three points of application. Number one, beware attempts to destroy a Christian view of time. Beware, be aware of attempts to destroy a Christian view of time. I'm sure everyone here knows if I said B.C. and A.D., what I'm referring to, B.C., of course, is before Christ. A.D. is Anno Domini in the year of our Lord. And that's how we tell the time, tell time. This is A.D. 2023, in the year of our Lord. If you look back to when Moses lived, it was about 1400 B.C., before Christ. But today we have what is called CE and BCE, Common Era and Before Common Era. And this is a deliberate attempt to attack the lordship and the kingship of Jesus Christ. We should reject this. We should resist this. When I was editing an encyclopedia published by a secular uh, publisher, and they wanted the use of CE and BCE, I had to be creative and find my way around that, and I did. I would not violate conscience on that matter. And yet how many academics today, even those who claim to be Christians, have succumbed to that? We also have what's called World Day. You know what World Day is? You know, every year, have you noticed? Every year it changes from, because we have 365 days, sometimes 366 days, right? Well, seven doesn't go evenly into that. You have one left over if it's 365. So next year, next year, October 15th, it'll actually be a Tuesday because next year is leap year, right? And so a lot of people say, well, that's inconvenient. Let's just insert one day every year called World Day, okay? Well, again, this is a deliberate attempt to destroy the pattern that God has set of one day out of seven being a Sabbath. And, of course, it is, again, a deliberate attempt to try to uh, destroy the testimony of Christ in terms of his resurrection. Or voting on the Lord's Day. Most countries throughout the world you vote on the Lord's Day. This is true in Central America, South America, and so forth. It's true uh, in Eastern Europe and numerous places. This, again, is a deliberate attempt to replace the Lordship of Christ with the Lordship of the state. Or calendars, which start the week on Monday rather than Sunday. You go to Great Britain, it's very hard to find a calendar that starts on the Lord's Day. They almost all start on Monday. Again, this is very telling. This is deliberate. It's a deliberate attack on Jesus Christ and our Christian faith. So beware attempts to destroy a Christian view of time. Secondly, 
And this, I'm going to do it by means of asking a rhetorical question. So I'm not asking you to respond other than in your heart. Were you looking forward to today with anticipation? Or was it just a duty? Were you looking forward to today with anticipation? Or was it just, oh, it's Sunday, got to go to church? Or was it, it's the Lord's Day? And it's my privilege to be here. You see, the early Christians would greet each other by saying, the Lord is risen. And the response would be, he is risen indeed. He rose again on the first day of the week. And the Sabbath the Lord's Day, the Christian Sabbath, is a token of the Lord's redemption. For it is a token of the Lord's resurrection and of our own resurrection someday. Were you looking forward to this opportunity? Or was it just a duty? And thirdly, please remember that the Sabbath can be enjoyed only by those who know the risen Savior. See, if, if you don't know Jesus, then it is just a do. I mean, you can keep, you can be so careful about keeping the Sabbath, but it becomes a legalism. It becomes something of merely a duty that you do. But in order really to observe the Sabbath, you must know the Lord of the Sabbath. And so I call upon you, therefore, to trust in Jesus, to know him, to love him, to submit to him, to rejoice in him, and to do so every Sabbath, that is to say, every Lord's Day. And, of course, throughout the week as well. My friends, Christ has commanded. Christ has commanded that we observe the first day of the week. The fourth commandment being fulfilled by Christ requires Sabbath observance on the first day. Amen. We please stand for prayer. Amen. Amen. And Lord, we are thankful for the fact that Jesus is our Savior and that in him, truly, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And so we give thanks for that. We pray, Lord, that as a flock, we as a congregation, we would more and more not only understand the Sabbath, but more and more be committed to keeping it. Give us that grace, O oh God. And Lord, we pray this for all of thy church as well. We pray that there would be revival of interest in keeping the Sabbath day holy, not merely in accordance with thy law, but in celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, in celebration, ultimately, therefore, of the fact that we too will be raised. So hear this our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, please turn.